while a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer, a farmer went out to sow his seed, and he was scattering the seed. Some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on rock, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to others I speak in parables, so that through seeing they may not see, through hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy and then they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart, who hear the word, retain it, and by preserving, produce a crop. I would bet most of us would acknowledge that these are challenging times for everyone these days. In recent years, many of us have found ourselves in increasingly unfamiliar territory, especially those of us in the church, as we watch things radically change little by little over time. There are at least two big contributors to this, and this morning I just call them the two C's. The first C being probably one of the most obvious ones that's on the tip of our tongue and in our brains a lot these days, COVID. COVID. COVID continues to wreak havoc as news outlets continue to report it. Politicians keep arguing over it. Family members keep getting sick from it. Policies keep getting changed by it. And businesses, churches, and lives keep getting disrupted by it. All the fear, hurt, and confusion that surrounds the virus has only served to exacerbate many of the underlying tensions, at least in our nation, but to a large extent worldwide for quite some time. These tensions I refer to as cultural shift, the second C. Almost anyone who is old enough recognizes that there has been a seismic shift in our nation in the last couple of decades. Over the years, the ever-changing influences and agendas behind much of the education and entertainment have blurred the lines between issues surrounding things such as gender, sex, race, and religion. In addition to all this, it used to be that pastors and churches could assume everyone had a basic knowledge of the Bible, but that is no longer the case. In 2016, LifeWay Research conducted a poll and found that 53% of Americans 
have read only a relatively small portion of the Bible. Among that 53%, 13% have merely read a few sentences, and 10% haven't read any of it at all. Think about that. One out of ten people who may come to visit a church haven't read their Bible at all, or a Bible. Pastors and churches can no longer assume that people have a basic knowledge of the Scriptures. Back in 1937, when Gallup Research conducted its first poll that measured church membership in the United States, 73% back then responded that they belonged to a church. For the next six decades or so, it hovered around that 70% mark church membership did. But at the turn of the century, it began to take a noticeable turn. And in 2020, that number dropped below 50% for the very first time. Scott Thuma, a director of Hartford Institute for Religion Research, conducted a survey of over 15,000 religious congregations across the U.S. and found that the average attendance in churches on weekends had declined from 137 in 2000 to 65 in 2020. And yes, that is prior to covid that is a more than 50% decline in a merely a couple of decades. These are just a few of the many seismic shifts that are taking place around us that often make us feel unstable, if we will, clinging for things to anchor our lives in. Again, all of us, and especially the church, are facing some of the biggest challenges we've ever faced in our lifetime. The landscape in which we live and do ministry has transformed dramatically. And we as leaders and as congregations can bury our heads in the sand, go on business as usual and pretend that it's not really happening, or we can seek God and seek to seize the day for His glory. Now's not the time to get discouraged and downtrodden it's the time to focus our hearts laser sharp in prayer and seek him only good things can happen from that as Don said last Sunday the world around us continues to change but two things remain the same our gospel message and our gospel mission the challenge is for us to recognize, is to recognize the changes around us and adapt so that the church can provide a healthy people and place for God, the divine farmer referenced in the parable, to sow his seed. It is then that we can assist him in cultivating and reaping a healthy harvest of followers. Hence, healthy churches grow healthy harvest in the parable read earlier jesus describes a farmer sowing seed just scattering seed the farmer sowing the seed represents god and the seed represents we're told his word 
some seed fell on the hard path where people walked over and over and over again on it. Other seed fell in what is literally not rocky, rock, the rocky soil, so a soil with rocks in it. Still other seed fell among the thorns, while the remaining seed fell on good soil. And what do these different types of soil represent in the parable? The people's hearts. Now, as we reflect upon the parable, let's ask ourselves, what primarily determined whether the seed grew healthy and produced a bumper crop or not? What was the main factor? Was it the seed? I mean, of course you couldn't have any growth in the first place without the seed. But could the seed grow into plants that produce crops on their own? Of course not. So what determined the health and the growth of the seed? It's the condition of the soil. That's right, the soil. The condition of the soil. It is clear in this parable that we, people both inside and outside the church, represent the different soils described by Jesus. Each of us are ultimately responsible for our own hearts and what type of soil they have and how we respond to God's word. But I believe that we as the church play an additional role in this process as well. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. We are the body of Christ. And as that, God desires to use his church to not only spread the seed, but also to tend the soil. In the same way that a farmer plows the field to soften the ground, we must provide an environment where even the hardest of hearts can experience the love of Christ in our attitudes and actions. Some hearts, like the soil in the hard path, have been walked on and trampled over by others time and time again to the point that those hearts and those people have grown calloused and their hearts have hardened. People, and in some cases churches, have contributed to this hurt. But we need to be about, through the love of Christ pouring out in our lives, being a part of plowing up that hardened soil. Being a part of fertilizing it, if you will. So that their hearts can be more receptive to God's word and the good news of Jesus Christ. As a church, we must do what we can to dig up the stones from the rocky soil that prevents the seed of God's word from taking root. We must provide structures and ministries in the church to support those who receive the good news of Christ so that they can grow deep and their roots can grow deep in their hearts in their understanding, trust, and practice of their faith so that when they are tested, that their faith can stand firm. We must engage our hearts with them. As a church, we must strive to weed out the thorns that threaten to choke the life 
out of Christ's followers. As a church, we must seek the Holy Spirit's guidance as we work through different methods and means in order to help people not to get distracted by all the worries, riches, and pleasures of life as described in the parable. Whether those be kids' activities, just the humdrum of everyday life, whether it's the quest for wealth, or whether it is anything else, travel, leisure, whatever. As a church, we must seek the Holy Spirit's guidance and help in order to provide an environment where we can not only fertilize, but also test the soil of our hearts so that God's Word can produce an amazing crop that perseveres in us as individuals, as families, and as churches. And I ask everyone to pray for our leadership this year, as I do every year. But in these challenging times, we all need it. Prayer for our church as we seek God's help to make Shiloh a people and a place of good, fertile soil. On that note, the elders will meet at the end of the month to begin the natural church development process. You may have read about it in the consistory highlights in the newsletter. Back in the 1990s, Natural Church Development International conducted some in-depth research with a thousand churches across five continents in 32 different countries of churches of all shapes and sizes, from small churches to mega churches, from protected churches to persecuted churches, from declining churches to growing churches. And they were looking for various factors that contributed to healthy churches. And after receiving more than 4 million responses, their analytics revealed eight qualities that are biblically based that were essential to growing healthy churches. Now there's no time to go into each of them in detail, but I hope to go into it in the future more in depth. But for right now, I'll just simply list them for you. Number one, empowering leadership. Number two, gift-based ministry. Number three, passionate spirituality. Number four, effective structures. Number five, inspiring worship services. Number six, holistic small groups. Number seven, need-oriented evangelism. And number eight, loving relationships. Again, I hope to have time in the future, near future, hopefully, to discuss each of these in more detail. But for now, all we need to know is that the elders will begin the process at the end of the month of taking the natural church development surveys while distributing those same surveys to some of you here in the church. Natural Church Development recommends that around 30 active people in our congregation take the survey, including the leaders, which in our case is myself and the consistory. So there's 13 right there. With the remaining surveys to be taken, we plan to do our best to make sure that every Sunday school class and every age group is faithfully represented. 
If you are asked to take the survey, we pray that you will take the opportunity to do so recognizing that your honest evaluation is what we need. In the presentation to the group of pastors that I meet with on a regular basis through Zoom, we were told, expect your feelings to get hurt. We're ready for it. I may come in crying one Sunday, but y'all lift me up in prayer and I'll be all right. Just kidding. This process has helped many, many churches over the years. At that point, once the surveys are completed and analyzed, natural church development will share with us the results and help us determine which of those eight areas are we the weakest in. At that point, we will begin to focus on addressing that area so that our church can become healthier and foster an environment for good soul, as I said, so that we can grow in God's Word and that Word produce an amazing crop for God's glory here at Shiloh. Now, with that being said, I realize, going back to where we started, that it is tempting for us as a church to look out at the world today and think nobody's interested much in Jesus, it seems, anymore. Nobody really wants to hear God's word that much. A lot of folks don't even recognize it as God's word. It is easy to get discouraged and to start to lose hope, but I am reminded of a short story told by Ed Wood. It's about a company that sent two shoe salesmen to Africa. After being there a short while, the first salesman got discouraged and sent the following telegram back to the base. He said, get me home, nobody here wears shoes. The second, the second salesman looked around and he sized up the exact same situation and got pumped. He sent this telegram back to headquarters. Send me all the shoes you can. Nobody here wears shoes. How do we see things? How does Jesus want us to see things? In Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, I believe then as he does to us today, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Let us pray. God, we ask that you give us the eyes to see the harvest before us. Help us to see the harvest that you see. So that we can be among those few. The workers who serve as Christ's hands and feet. So that we can be a part of gathering the harvest in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.